0: He's an amazing person. Um, Here's what you've stumbled into if this is your first time um, with us. We're going through the book of Mark slowly and deliberately uh, because what we presume is that uh, these words that have been penned and recorded for us are are some of the best at capturing who Jesus is. So the the more we read here, the more we study here, the more we camp here here. Um, the more opportunity we have to get to know uh, the one we call our king and our our savior, Uh, what we've discovered thus far is that uh, life is a test, and it's orchestrated by God. And that test, among other things, is uh, its purpose is to expose the truth about us, just like any test, exposes what's true. And in our case, it uh, affords us the opportunity to know um, how much further we need to go, how much more we need to be transformed, and how much we need Jesus that we didn't realize. Uh, It's a test. And the next test that we see in Mark 4 is to manage our way through about four or five parables. Um, what's What's the big deal about that? Well, they're hard to understand at times. Uh, Jesus spoke in ways, like I said earlier, that are oftentimes mysterious. They're symbolic, and we don't quite get it. It's a bit of a test to understand where Jesus is coming from and what he's trying to conclude. He's not always obvious. He might follow uh, a relatively complicated statement with the phrase like this, He who has ears, let them hear. Which is a lot like saying, Some of you will get this and some of you won't. Well, why would he do that? <laughs> why would he do that? Why wouldn't he say it in such a way that after he says it, he could say, That's clear, isn't it? Y'all get this, right? But he ends by saying, Some of you are going to get it, some of you won't. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Paul didn't do it. The Apostle Paul, his writings make up 25% of the New Testament. He didn't follow Jesus' pattern on this at all. Paul is painfully clear. Someone asked me one time, because Paul's an intellectually sound and He's a critical thinker with an unbelievable grasp of the gospel. And one time somebody said, wouldn't you love to talk to Paul? And I thought, no, not really. No, I think he would nail me to the wall. He was very clear. He He didn't follow Jesus' move on this at all. Jesus would say, listen, listen. And then he would speak in ways that made it difficult to listen the perfect example leading into this first parable. Jesus' is teaching again by a lake, which he was often did, um, it made it simple for him to address the entire crowd because he could push himself, himself away from the shore on a boat and they could stand along the shore and he could speak to more people with greater volume across the, the, the waters. And that's what he was doing at this particular point in time. People were standing along the water shore And Mark records it this way. He says, he taught them many things. So this particular day, Mark says, he taught them many things. And he started this way. Listen. And we're not going to get to the parable today. We're going to pretty much camp right there on that word, listen. But the parable, in order to foreshadow it, is the one where Jesus talks about uh, there was a farmer who sowed seed seed. And he and he tossed that seed out and it landed in all sorts of different places, and depending on where it landed, dictated the, the demise or the flourishing of that seed. You can imagine that, right? If seed lands on some dry space, it's not going to make it. If it lands in a nice little place of soil, it's probably going to make it. And he goes through an illustration like that and he finishes: Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. A little bit later, he's hanging out with the disciples. And they were asking him about the parables. We infer that they were probably saying, um, "But earlier today, you remember the parables? Yes. Uh, what were you saying again? You know, they, that, this is what was going on. And he says, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in Parables so that they may may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Well, this is worse than what I just set up. This is worse than some people might get it and some people won't. This is Jesus going, I'm saying it in such a way that some people will never get it. Why would he do that? We're going to come back to that question. First, let's talk about this very first word that he says. Let's talk about the word of Jesus right here. Listen. Let's look at it. Let's look at it from a Hebrew uh, language perspective and a, and a Greek or uh, Aramaic perspective. And here's why. Here's why we need to look at this. I might, I might be as strong as saying it this way. The reason we want to understand what the word listen means is because listening to God is critical to human flourishing. It, listening to God, understanding what it means to listen to God is crucial to your development and your joy as a child of God. The answer to the question, how have you progressed as a Christian? What, what, what has been critical and key to your continued flourishing and growing and developing as a Christian? The answer to that question, more often than not, should be, I listen to God. The question is, what does that mean? And we can start our study right in the thick of the ultimate Jewish Do you know what that is? The 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 prayer that the Jews elevated above all other prayers, the Shema. Deuteronomy six four, it says, "Hear, O Israel." The same word; it can be translated "listen." Exactly the same. Hear or listen, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Here's what, if you literally translated that Hebrew phrase, it would go like this. Listen, Israel, the God, our God, God is. Listen, Israel, God. Think about God. It's our God. And he is all. Listen, Israel, God. This is how it actually, this is, if, you, if you just read it here, it would go like this. Listen, Israel, God, God, God. In Italy, it says Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh. Listen, Israel, God, God, God. Listen, Shema. That's the very first word. Here in the Hebrew is Shema. And let me, it's free of charge, a little tangent, let me, let me tell you how to say Shema. You don't say Shema. You say Shema. The the Hebrew language does something at the end of certain words that we never do at the end of certain words, but we do at the beginning of some words. Let me give you an example. The word orange. I want you to say the word orange, but right before you say it, I want you to stop. (laughs) Okay, so you're ready? You're going to go. But as soon as this is about ready to come out of your mouth, stop. Ready? What what happens to your throat? It's closed. You don't. It's not like ha or hello. It's, you feel that? You go, ah. you close your throat ah, and then you throw out orange. That's what they do at the end of Shema. Shema. Just close your throat right there. Shut it off. Shema. That's how you say it. That's going to be helpful, right? In life. Every time you say the word orange now, you're going to tell people, you know you close your throat at the beginning of the word orange? Shema. We have a thing we call the discipleship flywheel. The core of discipleship. And it struck me, just as we were studying this, it should be called the Shema. And I'll build that out and show you what I mean. As we go. But there it is. There's the word. Shema. Okay. The Shema is regarded by many Jews as the most important prayer in Judaism. It reminds them that there is only one God, that He is their God, and that He is everything. He's created everything. Everything is related to God, and that He is the giver of all life within the creation that He has created. He is one God. He is comprehensive. He is cohesive. They call that whole prayer the Shema. But it's really the first word of that prayer is Shema. Listen. Listen. Listen to the verse right before the Shema. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. Let me tell you what this sentence says straight up. Listen, Israel. And be listening, and be careful to observe the listening. This verse essentially says, listen, Israel, shema, shema, shema. Listen, be listening, and do the listening. All that is considered shema. Hold that thought. Go to Mark 4. Jesus says, listen. Aquete. Listen, Aquete, if you have ears to hear, Aquen, let him hear Aqueto. Jesus says, Aquete, aquen, aquato. Listen, listen, listen. Aqueto. That is the root word, or the root of that word, is the same root to our word acoustics. You know what acoustics are? Acoustic roughly is what sound is like around and through something. Something with bad acoustics doesn't mingle well with the sound waves, and it can even distort them. Something with good acoustics resonates, reacts to the sound, and in accordance with the sound. When Jesus says, listen, he says, interact, resonate, feel what I'm saying. Both Shema and Akwete capture something far more than listening, hearing, as we naturally understand it. And in this case, what it's saying is, listen and hear God in a way that is different than the way you understand hearing and listening. Shema means to hear To understand and to do. To follow through. Every related English word that we have, that we try to put into the space of Shema doesn't work. Unless we change the context or the tone. Here's what I mean. You have a child or an employee or a friend that you're trying to get to do something, and if they're not doing it, what could you say? Are you listening to me? You change the context and the tone. When I say, are you listening to me? (laughs) What are you saying? Why aren't you doing what I said? Why aren't you following through with my words? When we do it in that context, we're not saying... Did you hear me? We're saying, why aren't you doing what you heard? We don't have a word like Shema. If you're walking along a street and you hear a long screech and then a thud. A thud. You heard... You listen to a screech and a thud. Those sound waves hit your head. And most of you that have heard the screech and the thud that I'm referring to already have begun to understand what that listening means. As a car crash. Car crashes don't sound like they do in the movies. It's kind of a sickening thud. You have begun to shema when you listen and then you interpret and understand and comprehend what you just heard. But you haven't finished shamaing that. Until what? You turn and go and do something about what you just heard. Now in Hebrew and Greek you have listened. You have not listened if you've only heard, you've not listened. If you've only heard and understood, you have only listened. If you've heard and understood and done something, let's go back to our flywheel. This is this is why we consider this the flywheel, the the center of the energy and the engine of discipleship is to Shema, to hear. <laughs> you can go to the probably the next, even the next one and the next one. This is how discipleship goes. You hear, and we'll get to this word confirmation in the weeks ahead. And you understand and you confirm what you've heard and then you obey. It is to Shema. But let me go back to my original point. If we are to understand and do, it doesn't seem very fair to expect such things from us without clarity, right? Someone says to you a sentence and you don't understand what it means and they come back to you and say, why aren't you doing what I said? It seems like it would be be perfectly legit to say, because I don't know what you're talking about. Why and how is it possible that God and Jesus would, that God the Father, God the Son, would be able to say in good conscience something that is symbolic, mysterious, potentially unclear, and then expect you to do and live and obey in accordance with what you don't understand? How do we make sense of the action-oriented expectation when we hear God? How do we make sense of the the, the mystery that comes with God's voice and the hidden meanings of some of Jesus' words and and connect it with action? Well, hopefully I'm not going to belabor this too much because it's, it's not that complicated. But let's make this the singular point of application out of this message this morning. Why Jesus isn't clear why things are often mysterious with God. Let me give it a go here. God's nature, um, who he is, who Jesus is, and their intention of God, the Father, the Son, isn't that. Their nature isn't that of a shallow, robotic, referee with a rule book Offering transactional opportunities to earn his attention and his love. That's not the nature of God. God's objective isn't to be able to go, hey, do this and we'll get along and I'll bless you. We tend to view him that way. We tend to say, be clear so that I can get an A in what you Tell me to do so that you will bless me and love me. Just tell me what you want me to do. I've said this to my wife. I want it to be transactional. Honey, just tell, just, t- I'm trying, I'm trying to love you. And I, I clearly, it's not working. Just tell me what it is that you want me to do. God's not like that. Jesus, like the Father, are deep, emotive, intriguing beings, real beings with whom dignifying relationship is explored and discovered. They're real. My wife says, I don't want to tell you how to love me. I want you to know me. I want you to pursue me. I want you to ask questions. I want you to discover what you don't understand and then respond accordingly. That's how how relationships work. God is in pursuit of you and he is to be pursued. Relationship with God is Deliberate, slow, transformative. A relationship with God is a seeking relationship, a trying relationship, a a failing relationship, a forgiving relationship, a trusting, repentant, redemptive, flourishing, real thing. I'm going to tell you a little secret here. I'm going to let you into my little world. Do you know how I keep your attention? It was harder when I preached for 54 minutes. Now it seems easier. Do you, do you, probably, you probably understand how, how I keep your attention? I know some of you are going, you don't, quite honestly. <laughs> for those of you that keep your attention, it's because I don't give you the whole, the whole answer right away. I'm building some tension. I'm, 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 I'm keeping you close to the hook. I'm like, I'm not quite giving it to you. Why? Someone should have engaged with what's, what I'm saying, what, what's happening in the scriptures. That's God. That's Jesus. The reason they're not just giving it to us straight away is because they know what would happen if we did. We'd walk away. We'd have everything we need. Jesus and God are going, kind of like this. I'm kind of like, kind of like this. This is a way that you might think of me. And what do they want the response to be? Wait, what what do you mean by that? Okay, wait. Come here. Don't don't get away. Come for lunch. Come for dinner. Can I talk to you more about that? Can I come be with you? Can we hang out more? I don't fully get this. That's what he's looking for. That's what God wants a real relationship. A couple chapters earlier in Deuteronomy, De, 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 Deuteronomy uh, before the Shema, um, it says this: there you, you will worship, you will end up worshiping man-made gods of wood and stone. Which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. If you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul, we don't tend to seek things we fully understand. Things that we fully understand are boring. I just love taking stuff apart. I don't know what it is. I see give me a screwdriver and like an old whatever. I just want to see what's in there. And God's saying, I want you to come and take me apart. No, figure out who I am. Jesus said it this way Ask. Ask. And it will be given to you. Ask for what? I don't know if it matters. Just engage. Ask me. And it'll be given to you. Seek and you're going to find. Knock and the door will be open. What are the first things? Ask, seek, knock. (laughs) Come on. Just forewarning. God does not answer the door fast, usually, in my opinion. He answers it like I do. It's like maybe that... I don't want to take that metaphor too far, but... Because I don't want to go to the door ever, but God does. But it, it, it's, okay. it's the same principle. It's like, are you really there? Let me hear you knock louder. Come on. I mean, it's, it's once an engagement, right? Am I making my, yeah, made the point. You know, when Jesus was asked to boil it all down, he quoted the Shema. When the disciples said, "Okay, you've been teaching like mad, all these parables and everything, all this stuff. What is it all boiled down, boil down to? He went to Deuteronomy six. Mark records this. You can look ahead, chapter 12. Of all the commandments, they said, "Which one is the most important?" And Jesus said, "The most important one is this: Listen, O Israel, God, God, God." Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Come on, come on, come on. You know, the Shema actually includes two other paragraphs. That's the most part, but they they jump to Deuteronomy 11 and then they get into Numbers 15. Here's the second one, Deuteronomy 11. If you faithfully obey, do we have that verse? I want to show you this. You're going to love this. If you faithfully obey Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. If you faithfully obey, let me tell you what word has been translated faithfully and obey. This is how this sentence would read. This is how this verse would read. So if you shema shema the commands I am giving you today. It's Shema, Shema. How would you interpret Shema, Shema if your understanding of Shema was listen, understand, obey. Listen, understand, obey. Listen, understand, obey. Faithfully obey. (laughs) You could say, listen, obey. And then obey, listen. Really listen. Listen. Really obey, really shema. If you really shema, if you shema, shema, listen, listen, really obey the commands I'm giving you to love the Lord, your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land and its season, both autumn and spring so that you may gather in your grain, new wine and olive oil. This is why I said at the beginning, it's critical that we understand what listen means, and not only that, but to learn how to practice listening in its fullest sense. Because what the scriptures are telling us isn't, if we listen to God, we will flourish. It's not even saying, if we listen to God and understand, we will flourish. Humanity flourishes when they recognize and listen to God, 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 understand by leaning in, doing the work to get it, to comprehend it, and then faithfully doing it. The Shema is the core of what it means to be a Christian. And in the coming weeks, I'll illustrate for you how it is the core of discipleship. I'll give you a preview. Just do the very last flywheel diagram. I don't know what number that is. This is what it is to disciple according to Shema. It means you hear. Like I said, we'll talk about those little things in the middle. You hear uh, and you confirm what you heard. Then you obey. And then you intentionally help somebody, equip somebody else to what? Hear and obey. When when every Christian is hearing in the fullest sense of the word, which leads to understanding and obeying, and then moves towards someone else and helps them mutually, together we obey. And if that person is helping and that person is helping and that person, just think of that ripple effect, how quickly discipleship stays in the space that it should be in that I am listening, you are listening, you're helping someone else listen, you're helping someone else listen and together mutually we are obeying. Suddenly, chama isn't just the best prayer. It's the core of who we are as Christians. chama is life. And that's the way they understood it. And we... Read here that the Shema is loving and it's flourishing. And I'll close with this. Most of the time, it takes some figuring, (laughs) it takes some work, it takes some time, it takes some correction, it takes some repentance to Shema. But through the whole process, Of trying to listen, trying to hear, trying to do. We are plumbing the mystery and the nature of God. Getting to know Him. The one God. Our God. The God of all. Let me get you kick-started. Let's take 90 seconds here together. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to look at it. Uh, If you've got it on your phone, you might want to just pull up the Shema. Um, We could put it on the screen. We could put uh, Deuteronomy 6-4 back up there. You've probably heard this phrase. I have a friend who likes to practice listening prayer. (laughs) Why do we have to put listening in front of prayer? Because most of our prayers are a lot of talking, a lot of asking for stuff, right? (laughs) Listening prayer. Spend a minute and a half just listening. Listening. Some of the best stuff to listen to has already been written about God. The stuff that that, that, that that is true and we know it's true is right there. You can read the Psalms and resonate. Uh, Aquate, right? Uh, be, have, have an acoustic with uh, the heart of David. You can read the Gospels and um, connect with uh, words of Jesus. And you can read Acts and get a a sense of how the church was growing in its early age and, and how the Spirit of God was in it. Just listen. I wonder if we need another phrase along with listening prayer that is doing obedience <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> we've lost our way in some you listen and, and, and what do you hear and what do you need to what do you need help understanding and then who can you talk to and dig in And work together to really listen by doing. But for now, just hear. Just listen. Just be in his presence. Justin will be up in just a minute. are so thankful that you willing to speak mm. to